G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be talking rocket science and what space exploration says about God. So turning our attention to really what is a very important, very 21st century topic. You might even be familiar with some words that are thousands of years old. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them, from Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. Well, our special guest today is a rocket scientist, an aerospace engineer who was lead navigation engineer for various NASA programs, including a mission to touch the sun and commercial resupply missions to the International Space Station. Rob Webb is an aerospace engineer, and he now works with Answers in Genesis, based in northern Kentucky in the United States, where the famous Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum were founded by renowned Australian creationist Ken Ham. Rob Webb is an apologetics and science writer and a co-host of Answers News. Rob, a special welcome along to 2020. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, Rob, let's start with Christians and rocket science and aerospace. You better give us some insight here. Is there a large Christian contingent in your field? Yeah, so uh, just real quick background here. I was in the aerospace industry, rocket science industry, for about a decade, for about 10 years before coming to uh, Answers in Genesis. And that is the number one thing that I found out working in the aerospace industry is it is a very secular industry. Um, and some of the Christians that I did know in, in the industry, um, a lot of them fell into that old earth, that theistic evolution camp there. So uh, finding a young earth creationist in that camp in the industry today is very, very rare. I was the only one that I knew of that was there. So um, definitely a challenge, you know, being a Christian in the uh, NASA industry uh, for so many years. And I, I've actually not been a Christian my whole life. I actually became a Christian in 2012, which is about a year after I got my bachelor's of science in uh, aerospace engineering. Got that in 2011. I'm going to ask you so, your uh, own story yeah. in just a few moments, but just to stay with this for a moment. So, in the rocket science aerospace field, and we've got some levels of development here in Australia where we've got a you know a space agency already set in its infancy to grow a little. But but what you're saying is uh, the non-Christian secular scientists dominate this field. I wonder what drives their agenda, do you think, if you're reflecting on what's driving their passion for all of the aerospace exploration? Yeah, so a lot of it, and anytime you're in the space exploration, it's what's called the naturalistic worldview, the evolutionary worldview. And what I mean by naturalistic is they they reject the supernatural, they reject God and the Bible. And so they're trying to explain everything in our universe, in our galaxy, without referencing God, without referencing his word is really what it comes down to, because like the Bible says, you know, it's um, every single unbeliever doesn't want God in their knowledge because they love the darkness and they um, they hate the light. Let's start to be exposed. And so that's what I see. I, that's what I saw over and over again 
in the aerospace industry uh, time and time again. So it was really that naturalistic worldview that was driving a lot of these scientists to try to find uh, different origin stories and uh, solar system formation and um, a lot of the different goals of sending probes to Mars or sending spacecraft to Mars. It was always that evolutionary goal that they had in mind for most of these missions. No doubt there's a sense of adventure when you are in the aerospace industry and you get to be involved in projects that, you know, send rockets into outer space. And no doubt there's the adventure that says this is like a new frontier. But is there something there that does drive the typical secular evolutionary scientist in this field, uh, which is really like a search for alien life, uh, the extraterrestrial Mm -hmm. life that they say, well, if there's no God, there must be something out there. That's what it comes down to a lot. One of the programs I used to work on was called MAVEN. We would send, we were sending a spacecraft to Mars, um, essentially to study the atmosphere of Mars, uh, to try to understand um, what's going on in terms of the the current state of the atmosphere at Mars. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the NASA scientists that were behind this mission, they had a lot of evolutionary goals of trying to find water on Mars. And the number one reason why they try to find water on Mars or a lot of these other planets is because they think that if they find water, they're going to find life. And they think that if life uh, arose over unguided processes here on Earth, then it had to evolve elsewhere in the solar system, elsewhere in the galaxy. So they're desperately trying to find that elsewhere in the galaxy, even in our own solar system as well. So that's what they're 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 constantly pouring a lot and a lot of uh, millions of dollars every single year into these programs, trying to find life in the cosmos because they 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 have that basically that sense of cosmic loneliness is what I would say. You know, they they have to they they basically say we we can't be the only ones in the universe. There has to be life somewhere, and so they're out there trying to find it. Is there a void, do you think, in the human heart uh, which develops if you leave God out of it? Because uh, bring God into the equation, something of that void fills because you're confident in origins. But if you leave God out of the equation, is there an emptiness, a meaninglessness in that void that somehow or other you've got to search for endlessly until you try and fill it uh, with some sort of evidence? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of the there's so much popularity in trying to find aliens and not just aliens but intelligent life out there because they think that these aliens maybe they've because they've they've lived so long maybe they've discovered uh, the secrets to health and to better medicine even the secrets of life you know how to find immortality how to find eternal life out there they're basically people are desperate for hope and they know that they're going to die one day and they don't want to they have that um, eternity place on their heart like the bible says And so essentially the search for alien life, it really is a secular replacement of the Bible, of God. Because if we want to find eternal life, where do we go? We we go back to God's word where he says that John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They reject that and and then they, they basically try to suppress that in their unrighteousness, like the Bible says, and they go out and they look for any excuse possible to not have God in their knowledge. And they're out there looking for this alien life, trying to look for that immortality, because like like, like the Bible says over and over again, we have eternity on our hearts. And that's what they're so desperate to find and hope for. And this is one of the things I bring up all the time with a lot of my unbelieving colleagues is, Yes, there is someone out there, and it is God, and he created you for a purpose. He created you to have that relationship with you and how to be reconciled with you through the death 
of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Robbie, you mentioned your own story, having a conversion experience back to 2012 and having mm-hmm. gone through university, you actually earned a bachelor's degree at that, that particular point. You've gone further in your studies there. But uh, at that time, you would have gone through university, a very uh, secular evolutionary agenda to what you would have been mm-hmm. learning. Take us into your own story. What turns a scientist around and says, God is in this equation? Yeah, so um, I got my Bachelor's of Science degree in aerospace engineering in 2011 from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. It was a crazy year for me, actually, because I had just got married, just got my degree, just got my first job in the industry. I moved up to Colorado to start my first job. And um, long story short, one of my old football buddies from high school gave me a call one day. We were going through a book study uh, by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. I had heard really just the gospel for the first time in that moment. Um, and for me, it was I just had that realization that I was going to die one day and what's going to happen when I die. And then that realization that I am a sinner, I've sinned against a holy and just God and I need to repent of my sins. And that's really what turned around. It was like a light switch experience from darkness to light. I remember my wife saying, you know, you're just a totally different person, you know, because I was one person. I was an old creation. Now I'm a new creation. Um, I was just, you know, I had so much passion, so much uh, just drive for God's word. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to learn more. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I had just gone through university with my bachelor's degree of learning about Big Bang, evolution, millions of years. And I was trying to figure out how to mix that with now my newfound belief in Christianity. How do I mix that? into the Bible. And that's actually what led me to Answers in Genesis and to other uh, creation uh, places like ICR, for example, and trying to find those answers to um, basically how to defend my faith and, and how to actually make sense of reality around me. And then I ended up getting my master's degree in 2014, um, which elevated it even more for myself around 2014 because um, I started interacting with more of my colleagues and more uh, NASA scientists at that time. And um, I had this idea of, you know, I had all this evidence for biblical creation. I thought I, I can just lay on this creation evidence around me. And how could they not believe in biblical creation at that point? And I realized that just doesn't work. You know, it comes down to the interpretation of that evidence. And that's why what, what I learned from Answers in Genesis and from a lot of the different speakers and resources that we have here at our ministry. You know, I'm sure there's listeners who are thinking, uh, you know, when you are initially uh, after a conversion experience uh, looking to mix the secular science into the biblical account. And I imagine there is some point at which you say these are diametrically opposed. You need to choose one side or another. Was that a difficult thing for you to to do that? I mean, you know, there's the encounter with God, belief, the pursuit of truth. Is that powerful enough to be able to overcome the intellectualization of secular science and how you think that should interact with biblical truth? For I think um, for me, the big, uh, I would say, linchpin for all of this for me was the realization that Big Bang, evolution, millions of years, they're actually subsets of humanism. Anytime you're elevating your own thoughts, your own opinions, and anytime you're elevating man's word above 
God's word is your ultimate authority, then man decides what is truth, and that is humanism. Um, and there, there's the the fancy word there is called syncretism. Anytime you're trying to mix one religion with another, anytime you're trying to mix the religion of secular humanism with the Bible, with your Christianity, that is syncretism. Obviously, this is not something that God approves of. Um, once I had that re realization, I think that's when all the light bulbs just immediately uh, just started going off for me. You know, I can't be mixing this other religious belief, trying to force fit it into the Bible because of these, um, basically everything that these secular scientists are trying to say. Again, it comes down to that interpretation that they're interpreting the evidence based on their worldview. Whereas I start with the Bible, if I'm starting with God's word and what he says about creation, um, it, it makes sense. What we see around us in the world around us today, uh, it actually confirms the Bible more and more every single year that we're making more and more scientific discoveries that are confirming biblical creation and not the evolutionary worldview. And I've, I felt like the more and uh, the longer I was in the NASA science um in that NASA industry, I was realizing that, you know, just the more discoveries we were making on Mars and Jupiter, even about the sun, it was confirming what God's word said over and over and over again. That's what's, that's something we, we say here all the time at the ministry, that science will always confirm the Bible because the Bible is God's word. And that's what we need to be basing ourselves on as Christians in every single area. It's not just a guidebook for life, but it is, it is the basis, the foundation for every single area. Um, that we encounter in our world today. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Rob Webb. Rob is an aerospace engineer. He's also a creationist and ready to take any of the tough questions you might be able to throw at him. Uh, before we take a call, uh, Rob, just uh, touch on something here that's important. Uh, I understand it, that people around the office, they don't even know your surname, but you've got a nickname. What's your nickname? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so around here, they call me Rocket Rob. Uh, most people don't even know my name. They're, I'm just that rocket guy. So that's, uh, that's become a, a nickname of mine that I've embraced over, over the last year and a half I've been with the ministry. So okay, questions, call me Rocket Rob. Questions for Rocket Rob on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Anne is in Labrador in Queensland. Hi, Anne. Welcome. Hello. I, I know it's so great um, for the things that they're doing, but is this what God really wanted them to do, like landing on the moon? I know that it's great. I know they had a, that experience. And even in the, the ship that's up, up now in space that they have, And do you think that is what God had planned for us to do, or is it something that mankind had decided to do and, and kept God out of it? Because I know God put everything into, into things and into the things and now we've got all space junk and everything up there as well so i just wondered whether this was uh not god's plan Anne, interesting question rob what are your thoughts for Anne? yeah so essentially it's the question of should christians um support space exploration that's really what it comes down to and this is something I say. Basically, there's a two-part answer to this. The first part is we need to make sure we're doing it. I, I think what she's hinting at is we need to do it responsibly. We need to be doing it, um, making sure that we take care of our planet. We're not uh, throwing random space junk into orbit because that is becoming a very um, a huge problem. Um, there's a lot of these rocket pieces, a lot of these dead satellites that are up there in orbit that we can't get down. 
Um, and it, it is creating a huge issue. So at the same time, you know, God gave us dominion over creation over this world. So we want to make sure that we're doing it responsibly. But at the same time, though, I think we should be supporting space exploration because it's um, because of that part of that dominion mandate. We have to then be uh, learning more and discovering more about God's creation because God created the moon. He created Mars. He created all these planets on day four of creation. And so by, you know, of course, sending spacecraft, sending rovers, even sending astronauts out there, um, we're able to discover more and more about God's creation. Psalm 19, one says the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork. So um, by exploring the heavens, we're exploring God's glory. And even like some of the um, old Christian astronomers, like you, uh, like for for example, Kepler, he, he would say that we should be um, exploring the heavens and exploring the handiwork of God, but we should be doing it to the glory of God, really what is what it comes down to. And we, we need to be make sure we, we're doing it for the right reasons. And one of the downfalls right now, if, for example, if, if we wanted to send astronauts to Mars, um, the cost of that and the risks of that are really, really high. And we want to make sure because all life is precious, all life is made in the image of God, we want to do our best to preserve that life. And right now, with our current state of technology, it is very difficult to send astronauts to Mars. So I would advise, at least for the near future, we should continue to send spacecraft. But assuming that technology continues going up in this um, upward trend, you know, over time, the the cost for it, not not just the money, but also the health risk for these these, these astronauts, if they continue to go in the right direction, I think we should be supporting. Um, exploration because it's it again it's exploring God's creations learning more about what he's done and of course um, you know having humans actually exploring these planets like Mars for example you're, you're gonna have that sense of curiosity that you, that you just don't get with a rover or a probe or a spacecraft and so um, that's just it that's just uh, something I say um, around here all the time there. And, and, and even going back to Psalm chapter eight that we, uh, read during the very beginning of this segment, you know, it's, um, it basically, t it, it talks about God having dominion over all, all these things and that he gives that dominion over to man, including, um, basically everything else around us in the solar system and the planets and all that. So, um, just another verse that we can go to. Okay. Uh, for that and thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open. 1-800-316-316. Let's take some more calls. Pinky, Trucky in Queensland. Hi, Pinky. Welcome along. Hey, Neil. Hey, Robert. Rob, how are you going? Very good. Pinky, what's your question? Uh, it's like a two-part question. Um, the first one is uh, there's a conspiracy theory out there that... Um, NASA never actually put a man on the moon. I was just wondering if you could clarify that because you would have heard that theory. But And if they did, uh, how come nobody else has uh, gone there? Okay, interesting one. Yes, what's your take, Rob Webb? Rocket Rob. Yeah, I've, I've heard that conspiracy many, many times again, especially from the Flat Earth movie. I've been hearing that a lot of times. And actually, one of our uh, resident astronomers here, Danny Faulkner, we just recently did a, um, a whole YouTube show talking about it. It's called Flatline, uh, where we're debunking a lot of the different Flat Earth myths that are out there. But um, yes, we have landed on the moon. And one of the big things that they always say is, you know, everything was CGI, that it was computer animated, it wasn't real. But actually, if you just look at the CGI um, capability that was back around then in the 60s, that wasn't even possible. That wasn't even really a thing. Um, plus, I also personally know people 
um, who worked on those Apollo programs, you know, even Christians that worked on those Apollo programs. Um, and by saying to the moon, then you are accusing our Christian brothers of, of basically lying over the biggest moment in their life, basically. Um, and I, I think it would be a lot harder for us to fake going to the moon than actually going there. And one of the main reasons why we haven't gone recently is because back during the 60s, during that time, there was a lot of attention. There was a lot of uh, media, a lot of popularity of going to the moon. You had that wonder. You had that excitement going on in the culture. And once the 70s kind of came around, you kind of lost that attention. You kind of lost that media um, excitement going around there. Um, but I feel like it's starting to come around again with the Artemis missions. Artemis 1 just successfully launched with the uh, with their space launch system that NASA built. And they're planning on with Artemis 2 and then Artemis 3 after that. They're going to be sending astronauts back to the moon here, uh, trying to basically get that excitement back into the culture again. So there is plans coming up soon where we will be returning to the moon. Uh, yeah. Pinky, thank you so much for your call. Let's continue to take some calls, get through as many as we can before the news. Tegan is in Cairns in Queensland. Hi, Tegan. Welcome. Um, hi. Tegan, what's your question? Um, so it's not really about um, astronomy, astronomy per se, but it's just about like kind of like the timeline. And I've always had a struggle kind of understanding like the timeline of earth like in science you're taught like it's millions of years old and then in the bible i've kind of been told that it's not it's only like a few thousand years old so i guess what i'm trying to say is you know studying astronomy and all that uh, do you have like a bit of a more of an understanding on how old the earth actually is in regards to like the bible and genesis and what it all says that's a great question tegan and a couple yeah. of minutes out from news rob yeah, I mean, we are called answers in Genesis for a reason. So, um, of course, the Bible in Genesis doesn't say exactly how old the earth is, which is a good thing, because if it did, then the very next year it would be out of date. But we actually get the age of the earth from the genealogies that we see in Genesis chapter 5, Genesis, Genesis chapter 11. If you were to count up those genealogies from Adam to Abraham, father to son, father to son, you'll get about 2,000 years. And most most um, chronologists, even secular, would agree that Abraham was about 2,000 years before Jesus. So you have 2,000 years from a from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, and Jesus lived about 2,000 years. Um, it's the year 2023. Can't believe it's already 2023. Um, so if you add those up, you get about 6,000 years in total. So that's how we know um, how old the earth is. And from there, it's again, like we were talking about earlier in this episode, it's what are you basing your authority on as a Christian? Are you basing your authority on man's word, man's interpretation of the past? Or are you basing yourself on God's word who who says in his word that he was there, he was the one that created everything. We have the reliable eyewitness account. Because anytime you're talking about the age of the earth, you're talking about a historical question. It's a question of history. And anytime we have a question of history, we need to go back to a reliable historical document. And for us, for Christians, that is the Bible. That's what we, we need to be going back to. That's what we need to base ourselves on. And the, and the more and more you study science, it actually confirms biblical creation over and over again. And it does not confirm the evolution, millions of years interpretation. So really, that's kind of where it came from. And also, one of the big things, too, is as Christians, if we embrace the idea of millions of years, what, what are we actually embracing? We're actually embracing millions of years of death, suffering, and pain 
after God said that everything was very good in Genesis 1.31. Obviously, that is not the God of the Bible there. Um, God declared everything very good on that very um, on that day six after every after every he created everything um, So obviously death and suffering was not there, but death and suffering is a result of man's sin It's because Adam disobeyed God. It's because Adam committed high treason against our creator That's why we have death and suffering in our world So you have two different competing worldviews happening here You have man's word that says millions of years of death and suffering leading up to man's existence God's word says we have a perfect creation and then death and suffering and that's what we're living in today. Rob, let's continue to take some calls, shall we? Let's hear from Jane right. in Townsville in North Queensland. Hi, Jane. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rob, for your work in Answers in Genesis. Look, I don't know if this question can be answered from Genesis, but um, from what I understand, and you can correct me, um, if the constellation Orion can be seen from all parts of the Earth and it's the only one, do you think it's plausible to suggest that according to the verse in Revelation 1-7 where it says, look, he is coming with the clouds, referring to Jesus, and every eye will see him, that Jesus could come through the hole in Orion because every eye will see him. Well, there you go. Constellation. Rob, uh, let's get your response for Jane. That's a great question. I think I've heard of that before. Um, at, at our ministry, we, we, we don't take any specific stance on es- eschatology, any of the odd mill, post mill, pre mill, windmill, all the different mills that are out there. Um, but in terms of uh, co- coming on the clouds of heaven, of course, that is coming from Scripture. We're not sure exactly, you know, if if that's a if that's a literal, or if that's going to be a poetic type of thing there. Um, if it's going to be from Orion or whatnot, I, I can't really say um, one way or another, but I have heard that um, interpretation before, and I'm not sure how helpful I, I, I can be on that answer exactly. So, uh, yeah, I'll just have to leave it at that. Okay. Jane, is that helpful uh, at all? It's, it might confirm uh, that it's difficult to actually say. And, it is, it uh, is a difficult. There's, there's a lot of different interpretations out there. It's just it's one of those questions of uh, eschatology that we just don't really take a stand here on um, in Answers in Genesis. So You raise a thought or two, Jane. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Alfie is in Corrigan in WA. Hi, Alfie. Welcome. Yeah, how you going? Very good. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually from, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Aboriginal man. I'm actually from Darwin. Oh, As okay. you know, Darwin is, a, yeah. So, and um, and being a Christian, I, yeah, people say that we've been here sixty thousand years and that, but um, I don't believe. I believe because you know Jesus wouldn't have, wouldn't let Aboriginal women suffer for that long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's where I. You know, and 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 even Christians, because I was with the uh, Ants, uh, Creation Ministries support group in Darn, and we used to prepare for the speakers to come up. And I was trying to go to one of the Christian schools and see if we could get in there. And the head and the principal, look, he said that that um, uh, we don't believe um, we do our own teaching here. And um, he said, if you want to believe in that young Earth, that's you know, that's what you want to believe. And I thought, you know, this is happening in 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 in, in the in the Christian schools in the churches. And and you know, with this thing about Aboriginal stuff, they saying that we we own the land and we've been here thousands of years when we haven't. You know, we haven't evolved from apes. We are created in the image of God. And um, yeah, so I just thought I'd yeah 
Pastor, but just one more thing I wanted to share with you. Just in, in, in Genesis, uh, oh no, you know how they talk about water on Mars. What is your take on how you reckon water would have got on Mars? And they said there was a flood up there. Can you explain? Oh, just try and explain it. Uh, I'm not sure whether Rocket Rob is across uh, our Australian uh, Aboriginal history oh, okay. and all sorts of things like that. And uh, Rob, you might no, be. That's all right. We'll come back to uh, water on Mars in just a few moments. And uh, just as food for thought, sometimes we talk about a young Earth and we're talking around that 6,000 year mark. Then you've got the yeah. thought that uh, Aboriginal people have been here for 60,000 years. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. the thought that the Earth is 13. Point seven billion years uh, of the universe, thirteen point seven billion years old, uh, and uh, you know we'll talk about some of those sorts of things. But let's come back to uh, the Mars issue and water on Mars. Uh, your thoughts here, Rob? Okay, so that was a long question here. So we're we're asking about the water on Mars question here, correct? Yeah. Whether or not there's water on Mars today, or there ever was in the past. Yeah, so there is a lot of evidence that there could have been water on Mars. So, of course, we can't be dogmatic about that. But actually, if you look at Mars today, it is a complete desert planet. I mean, it is impossible for water to exist on Mars today because of the low pressure, because of the low temperature that's out there. Yeah, it's something that we talk about here all the time with our ministry. It's the power of your worldview. Because a lot of the scientists that believe that there was a global ocean, that Mars could have even suffered a global flood catastrophe, right? Those same scientists will then reject that there was a global flood here on Earth, even though our Earth, our world, is covered by 70% of of water here on Earth. So if you look at Earth, completely 70% covered of water, they reject there's a global flood there. They look at Mars, which is a desert planet, and they believe there was a global flood there. So, again, it shows um, just the power of your worldview that these secular scientists here, um, they have already rejected God. They've already rejected his word, and they are now taking their secular interpretations, their naturalistic worldview, to then interpret what happens on Mars in the past. And actually, we have a great resource on that as well. Um, there's even articles that we've uh, just r- r- written about the just the whole ironic situation with that whole— um, worldview there. If you guys want to jump online to answersingenesis.org, you can um, read more about that. We also have an exhibit as well at our Ark Encounter uh, if you're ever in town and want to check that out. And uh, just going r- real back here um, to that 6,000 year um, young earth creation uh, issue here. So one of the things we say here, Answers in Genesis, all the time, it's it's not really a young earth issue here. It's not the 6,000 young earth versus old earth. It's really a biblical authority issue. It's man's word versus God's word. Because we, we live in a culture today that um, every single generation after generation, they're being told that they don't need to believe everything that's in this book, that they're able to uh, take the first part of this book, the foundational book of the Bible, which is in Genesis, and says, um, you don't have to believe everything in there, but you have to trust the rest of it. But the question is, if you can't trust just Genesis, which is the foundation for every single Christian doctrine, either indirectly or directly, if you can't trust Genesis, why trust the rest, right? Why trust even the Gospel of John? Why trust the resurrection? Because um, that's what people, t- you know, they, they say to me all the time. They say, Rob, you know, the interpretation of Genesis, that's just a side issue, right? We just need to tell people about Jesus. But I always tell people, yes, we should. But where does that message come from? It, it comes from the Bible. It comes from God's Word. So we have to 
we either believe all of God's word or none of it. We can't just pick and choose different parts that we want to believe and not believe. And so really, that's what our ministry is all about. It's a biblical authority ministry. We stand on God's word unashamedly from the very first verse, starting in Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth. Alfie Encouraging in WA, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. And I've got one of your colleagues who'll be joining me, I think, in around about a month's time. And we'll be talking about genealogies. And so when it comes around that Aboriginal question and how people got from uh, the uh, the ark on Mount Ararat uh, to spreading around the world, uh, those sorts of things are going to be very, very interesting. And one of your colleagues who says he can trace his genealogy actually back to Adam and Eve. Now, that'll be an interesting one to be talking about. Um, Watch this space. That's coming very, very soon. Hey, let's take another call. Dennis is in Yanko in New South Wales. Hello, Dennis. Welcome. Yeah, g'day. How are you going? Very good, Dennis. What are your thoughts? Do you have a question? Oh, completely changed my mind about uh, young earth, old earth sort of situation and uh, I've, come, I've come across, I'm a convert to the young earth idea but uh, one question I did have was uh, concerning fossil, the fossil record I don't know whether you can help or not but um, I've heard secular scientists say that when you go back down through the rock layers uh, there are, there are, the fossils should be sort of all mixed up if there's a young earth uh, flood, um, but they say that that's not what they find. They find that uh, the the fossil record shows um, la- layering of fossils. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether you can help with that. What are your thoughts here, Rocket Rob? Yeah, so it, it, it comes down to what is our authority? What are we basing ourselves on when we're interpreting rock layers? It's with every single evidence. It's what, it's, it's something we say here at our, at our ministry all the time. You can't approach any, um, any piece of evidence in a neutral fashion. You have to come at it with an interpretation, with your worldview. Are, are we starting with the Bible or are we starting with man's word when we're looking at these rock layers? So man's word would say that these rock layers were laid down slowly and gradually over time using the current processes that we see today because currently um, today we don't see rock layers being laid down very fast so they they assume that has always been in the past that's what's called uniformitarianism essentially saying that the present processes have always applied in the past whereas if we, we start with the biblical world we start with genesis um, 6 through 9 that says the entire world was covered in the global flood what would we expect from a global flood? Well, we'd expect billions of dead things laid down by water all over the earth, and that's exactly what we find. We've seen these layers upon layers actually being laid down, and um, if you want to learn more about that, um, definitely I highly encourage you to jump onto our website, answersingenesis.org. You can actually research that. We have geologists here on staff that have uh, written extensively on this um, subject as well. Uh, Dr. Andrew Snelling, he also has some research papers out there. It talks about the, um, some of the findings he's uh, found at the Grand Canyon, uh, just confirming um, the, the biblical creation flood model and actually disproving the millions of years, those evolutionary assumptions. So um, highly encourage you to check out our website, answersingenesis.org. You can literally spend millions of years on our uh, website. 
learning all about this stuff. Dennis in Yanko in New South Wales. Dennis, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Interesting to connect space exploration with sedimentary layers in which fossils might be formed. Uh, Your thoughts here, because the moon is responsible for our tidal movements, and if you have a giant flood, as in Noah's flood, uh, no doubt over the course of that year or so in which there was flooding, uh, the backwards and forwards movements uh, of those tidal flows uh, laying down sedimentary layers, undoubtedly that might be part of the cause of where we can see those sedimentary uh, fossils. Any thoughts here from you, Rocket Rob? I haven't... Um I haven't given that that one much thought personally. Um, I I do know, yes, that God created the moon for a very specific purpose to create those tides for us. Um, In terms of what the global flood, um, I assume you're you're asking how that affected the moon during the flood, or are you wondering? Well, of course, um, uh, you know, we we have tidal movement, don't we, uh, because of the moon. Mm -hmm. Now, when the flood would have happened, the moon was there. And as the Earth mm-hmm. rotates, uh, the uh, the movement of tides uh, in and out when you've got floods across continents clearly mm-hmm. is laying down sedimentary layers. So there must be a connection. I'm just connecting the the space exploration and talking about the moon with what happens Very uh, here on Earth. Yeah. So uh, yeah. so one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's get through as many calls as we can. Let's hear another listener's question. David is in Cairns, North Queensland. Hi, David. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Um, question regarding the astrophysical side of things. Given our orbit around the sun, the sun's solar activity, the effect of the moon, is there anywhere else that's been discovered that's so perfectly timed like that? Now, did you catch that, Rob? Yeah, so basically asking about how everything's perfectly designed in our solar system and you're asking about that and how the earth was placed and that, that kind of David just there, just clarify like. that just clarify that uh, that you know the pointy end of your question there uh, the effects on climate um, I was always let to believe it's solar activity and the moon and um, variations in solar activity and lunar activity plus clouds and everything else and I know they're looking for a habitable planet somewhere but they haven't seemed to find one find one yet Rob thoughts around uh, solar activity uh, climate that sustains life thoughts here for David yeah I mean um, it's very clear in the Bible um, the Bible says God talks about how he designed the earth very unique to be our home. And actually, uh, the more and more we look out into the night sky, the more and more we look out into the cosmos, we're finding a lot of these planets, what's called exoplanets or extrasolar planets. Uh, James Webb Space Telescope, which was just recently launched, that's one of its core uh, missions is to go out and find these planets. And we've found thousands upon thousands of these exoplanets. And what's interesting is all of these exoplanets are are not like Earth. They are not Earth-like, and they don't have the right conditions for life. Um, they're not the right distance from the sun. They don't have an atmosphere. They don't have water. They don't have all these perfectly designed uh, features. So what we're seeing again and again as we're studying more of the cosmos, it's actually confirming what God's Word says, that the Earth was very unique in all of the universe, whereas on the flip side, the evolutionary worldview would say, 
that the earth is nothing special, that the earth is just another pale blue dot in this giant cosmos, that there should be life everywhere. But actually, we're not finding that. We're finding all of these other solar systems, all these, all of these other planets that are not habitable for life. And it's really got, uh, it's, it's just a huge paradox for the evolutionary worldview right now. And they're just thinking, are we really alone in this universe? And it kind of goes back to our uh, alien life question that we were talking about earlier. Um, it's just, it just goes back to that the earth is unique, that we are the right distance from the sun. We have an atmosphere, we have a magnetic field that protects us from these solar flares, all the solar activity coming from the sun. Uh, we have a moon that keeps our, our tilts just right. So we don't have those boiling temperatures and those freezing temperatures and those extreme temperature swings. We're in just right. What's called the Goldilocks zone. Um, there's just all these perfectly designed things around us and of course that just everywhere around us i mean we just look out at creation and just screams at creator which is like what romans one says that the evidence is clear that every single uh person knows that there is a creator i mean you just have to look out into creation you know for a fact that there is a creator but they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness and psalm 19 1 like we talked about before the heavens declare the glory of god you look into the night sky and you know for a second that the creator of the universe exists. Um, we were also talking about Psalm 8. I also wanted to read here, Psalm 147 here. It says, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Now, the other day I heard the latest estimate is that there's 2 trillion galaxies in our universe. And if we were to assume each one of these galaxies have 100 billion stars, give or take, then that means there's up to 200 billion trillion stars in our universe and our all all powerful god he's named every single one of them and the great news is this that our all powerful god who's named all the stars he provided a way for us guilty sinners this tiny little blue dot that he cares for us he cares about us because we're made in the image of god um, charles spurgeon actually says this he says he who counts the stars and calls them by their name is in known danger of forgetting his own children that's a god i want to worship and praise for all eternity David and Cairns, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. In fact, uh, we'll probably take one more call in just a moment. And that'll have to be our last one because time is running out. Just to, to, to pick up on those, David is asking that question and hearing your response. It's as though we're looking out beyond ourselves for answers to the sorts of issues about creation, about meaning, about all sorts of issues around what is real and we're ignoring the evidence that we have right under our noses. The fact that we can see and feel those things that are around us now, that in fact leads us to an appreciation of the fact that there must be a creator. Uh, we don't always connect the Creator being the God of the Bible. That's another process in there. But the fact that we can see and feel the things around us, that is evidence that we are all called to deal with, isn't it, Rob? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And, of course, uh, we wouldn't just stop there and just say that, yes, there is just some general Creator. We would say that it is the Creator of the Bible. It is Jesus Christ who says, um, like in John 1, he is the word. He created everything around us. There's not, not, not one thing that he did not make. Um, and it is he is the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of this universe. And that's what we would try to point people to. Okay, let's take one more call. Alex is in Melbourne. Hello, Alex. Welcome. Oh, hello. Thank you. Yes, I'm regarding the flood. Um, and I believe, I'm not sure, but I think it was about 30 cubits 
uh, cover to the whole world and that you know mountains like Mount Everest and so that's a lot of water and and yet when and when I read verse six and seven of the first chapter it says uh, and the firm of it firmament divided the waters above the firmament from the waters below the firmament and in that firmament later on we, we, we read the lights were put and then I'm thinking it, it uh, therefore well you can be, you can assume that water is somewhere somewhere well above what um, <laughs> what I understand anyway I was just wondering what you would say there good question Alex uh, where's the water coming from above and below uh, thoughts here for Alex yeah, I've actually heard that as well. Um, actually, if you jump onto our website, answersgenesis.org, if you look up Danny Faulkner, our resident astronomer, he's actually re- written extensively on this. Um, there's a lot of different theories that are out there in terms of uh, what, what does that word firmament mean? What does that word um, going back to the original Greek where I think it's rakia that's there? Um, a lot of the newer translations translate that as expanse. Um, and, and really what, what it comes down to is we have to realize that there's, um, whenever the Bible uses the word heavens, it could refer to sky, it could refer to outer space, it could refer to the abode of where God is, is located at. Um, so any, anytime you see those words that the stars were placed in the firmament or the stars were placed in, in the expanse or the heavens, um, that's talking about outer space at that at that time. So, um, but yeah, if, if you want to dive into that more, um, I definitely encourage you to jump onto our website and you can read a lot more about that in terms of uh, what does that word re- really mean? What does it mean for the waters to be separated? Um, definitely encourage you to ch- just check out our resources on, on that uh, question there. Alex, thank you so much for your starting question. run out of time here, so I don't yep. want to spend so, too much. But you know here. what? Because a conversation like this often sparks questions. Uh, not everybody's got the courage to call in and uh, make a talkback call and uh, answer and ask their question, but there might be lots of questions that listeners have when they go to the Answers in Genesis website, answersingenesis.org. How easy is it to ask a question about these tough things, Rob? We have a lot of different articles on all sorts of different categories. If you jump onto our website, just go into the search bar, type in your question. Um, more likely than not, we've already covered that. We already have an article that covers that very specific question. Um, you can also go into our bookstore. We have the Answers Book Series 1 through 4. It has a lot of the most common questions involving the creation uh, versus evolution debate. So I highly, highly encourage people to go check that out. Uh, we also have a book called The Flood of Evidence, which is sometimes we call the fifth book in that series. It talks a lot about the flood and a lot of the common questions and answers regarding that as well. Um, that would be a really good starting point for people to just look into in terms of a lot of these questions. I well, just encourage you to just, Rob, just start there. Answersingenesis.org. Uh, Rob Webb, an aerospace engineer. He works with Answers in Genesis. And yes, if you could plan a holiday to the US, you might want to drop in and see the famous Ark Encounter, the life-size uh, recreation of Noah's Ark and visit the Creation Museum. Uh, founded by Australian creationist Ken Ham. And you might want to check out uh, Rob Webb. He is a science writer. No doubt there's lots of articles on answersingenesis.org. Look for Rob Webb's name. I'm sure you called Rob Webb on those. I'm not Rocket Rob, but, uh, yeah. you know. So yeah, they haven't for... changed that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Webb, apologetics and science writer, co-host, too, of Answers News. Answers News, is that an online uh, creation news service? 
Yeah, so Answers News is our weekly program that we do live. Uh, it was on Wednesday, but now we're switching back to Monday. Live Mondays at 2 o'clock um, here, Eastern Time, so local time. I don't know what time that would be in Australia, <laughs> but it's uh, it's on YouTube, uh, Facebook, and um, a whole bunch of different social media platforms. So, yeah, if you want, if you guys want to just learn more about what's going on in the culture, uh, we cover a whole bunch of different scientific as well as cultural issues, and we do it from a biblical worldview. Times are not always easy. You might want to check out the podcast. And uh, when we talk times, appreciate you, Rocket Rob, staying up late because in your neck of the woods right now, it's about 9.30. So, uh, yeah, it's only 9.30 p.m. <laughs> so uh, anyway, you, you stayed up late for us and uh, we are very much appreciative. Look forward to another conversation sometime very soon. But uh, Rocket Rob Webb, aerospace engineer, thank you for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.